everybody, and welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today we are going to go off of our most recent blog post and talk a little bit about historical figures that deserve their own operas. Our writer, Preston, wrote a really, really awesome article. And I took one look at it and I was like, I want to play this game. <laughs> yeah, we were like, wait, this was so smart. We want to we want to play. So if you haven't seen that article yet, go check it out. It's up on opera-offstage.com. Preston is just such an excellent writer and he chose some really cool figures. So we're going to talk about a couple of the ones he chose. So Michelle, what's your first choice? What, Who do you want to hear sung about? <laughs> okay, so hear me out. Which I don't think anybody's going to say no because <laughs> you we are, love her. No, I won't. <laughs> but I think that our girl, our queen, our saint, may I add, Hildegard von Bingen deserves. Oh, hell yeah. A freaking Bingen <laughs> chamber opera. What an unforgivable pun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just feel like it's it's time. It's been time. It's it's time. And it's I do feel strongly that it should be a chamber opera, not to diminish our girl, but I don't think that there's quite enough, you know, known about her and and just that needs to be covered. I think a beautiful like chamber orchestra, chamber opera, cool setting, that's what I want for her. I want like the old-time instruments. I need it all. Are you seeing the vision that I'm seeing? Well, yeah. But, I mean, to say something on visions, like, Hildegard von Bingham was known for the fact that she had a lot of religious visions. And I think it would be fun to play with the idea of whether or not those visions were messages from God or, in fact, some kind of illness. Yes. I would want the visions to be kind of, like, the main highlight point of the whole plot. And I feel like the way that you could translate, you know, from what she believed of like the gift of prophecy, like coming into her body, relaying it, writing it, sharing it with others, I think would just be such a cool concept that you could play with both dramatically, but especially musically. I don't know if I'm thinking that the whole opera needs to be set to kind of like a more medieval type music atmosphere, but I want it to be like a combo. Yeah. I need some sort of like modern opera, medieval sensibilities and instruments montage. It would almost be interesting if other people were singing in other styles, but she stayed in the style in which she wrote. Yeah. I also think it could even be cool to have, I don't know if it would be cheesy or interesting, but, you know, obviously she wasn't like canonized until 2012 when she was like actually declared priest and one of the what are they what do they call it like the doctors there's like a special title that she holds as like a woman doctor in the catholic church it's interesting but it would be yeah. interesting to have the modern perception like maybe not set in 2012 but like this becoming a saint or being officially recognized as a saint and then you have the flashback where everything's like much more medieval i mean the thing is like hildegard was pretty well regarded in her time but this huge fascination only happened like more recently. And so it'd be kind of interesting to play with that kind of modern versus medieval. Well, yeah. I mean, not only that, like she she's an interesting figure because obviously she has these like wild visions, but she's also kind of a scientist of her time. 
Mm-hmm. You know, she's studying medicine. She writes on it. You know, this is old timey medicine. It's very much like the humors and things like that. But at the same time, she is writing down what she believes. And, you know, these monasteries are places that take care of the infirm. So it's kind of an interesting contrast between this purely spiritual experience versus her kind of scientific mind versus writing a ton of music. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. People had a lot of time back then. So I just looked it up. She's proclaimed as a doctor of the church, which she is one of only four women to have been named so. And then obviously she's the patron saint of musicians and writers, which I just think could be really fun. I'm envisioning this. I'm manifesting some composer to listen to this episode and create a chamber opera (laughs) for our girl Hildegard. Also, there's a documentary film about her called The Unruly Mystic, which I love as a name. Ooh, yes. That's going to be my next D&D character. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, gosh. But no, I think a chamber opera about Hildy would just, would slap. Yeah. It would be awesome. Hour 30, like black box setting. Yeah, I'm seeing it. I got the vision. You've got the vision. I've, She's I've got gotten vision. her vision translated to me. Cool, cool. So I propose Hildegard, who do you counter? I've made it I a competition counter- now, apparently. <laughs> I counter. Yeah. Like playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards with our people. I counter with Nikola Tesla. I, that's do a good you know one. who Tesla is? Yes, I do. Okay. I was like, you didn't respond. I was like, oh. <laughs> So yeah, Nikola Tesla, he's a Serbian-American, and it used to be that like not a lot of people knew about him, but there have been several films and everything. Obviously, there's now a company named after him, although his family, I think, fought the fact that the car company is named after him, considering. <laughs> but anyway, he is an engineer and a physicist, most well-known probably for discovering AC current, which is how basically the power to your home works today. But he's just a really fascinating and kind of tragic figure, which I think fits really well into opera canon. Because, so he's born in Serbia on a farm, and he loses his older brother when he is seven. And he then reports starting to see visions of his dead brother. Which was kind of a a cue that he was going to suffer with mental health issues for the rest of his life. But I think having a ghostly figure... Great for opera. <laughs> Works Great. really well. Oh, my god! the idea that, like, you could bring back this older brother every single time, like, it throughout the show. Yeah. Ghosts like, really are. Figure. Yeah. An opera staple. Ghosts are great. An essential, right? if you will. And you know what? Every good story needs a villain. Who is the villain of Nikola Tesla's story? It is 100% Thomas Edison. And if you have never Ooh. relearned the history of Thomas Edison, he's a dick. He's an asshole. (laughs) Right? So in the 1880s, Tesla comes to America and he is hired as an engineer with Thomas Edison's Manhattan, like, company. He works there for a year. And Edison loves him. The guy is a genius. And he was. Edison told Tesla that he would give him $50,000 to improve the design of his direct current dynamos. And so Tesla... Works for months and months and months, and he finds a solution. He, he improves that design. And Edison says, Tesla, you don't understand our American humor. When he asks him for the money he's owed. Mm. Tesla never pays him. Mm-hmm. He basically says, oh, you didn't get the, like, me saying I would pay you $50,000 to improve my company and my work and my designs. 
<laughs> LOL. <laughs> no. So anyway, Tesla leaves. He tries to start his own company. He fails. He ends up working for George Westinghouse, who is the other major power provider outside of Edison. Mm-hmm. Right? Tesla starts making some money. It's great. He invents the AC power system that we still use today. <laughs> still mm-hmm. using it right now. In order to push back against this, do you know what Edison started to do? Hmm. Basically, Edison starts executing... He has a prisoner executed with AC current, and he also executes animals publicly using AC current to try and prove that it's more dangerous than direct current. Mm -hmm. He goes on this campaign to prove that Tesla's invention is dangerous for people, even though if you run an electric current through anyone, regardless of how you do it, it will kill them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Edison puts on this whole campaign, so on and so forth. Tesla starts to get money. But Westinghouse ends up ultimately reworking his agreement with Tesla. So Tesla once again loses money, even though he is the inventor behind the thing that actually buoys both of these companies. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, he, you know, moves into a lab. And this is where a lot of the stuff we know Tesla for starts to come into place. So electric oscillators, phosphorescent lights, these high voltage transformers that are called Tesla coils. So if you've ever seen that big coil that kind of shoots out electricity, that's a Tesla coil. It's really, really cool. And he makes friends with people like Mark Twain. There's pictures of Mark Twain in Tesla's laboratory that are just beautiful. And I think that's just an interesting figure that you can run through his life. And honestly, I think it'd be kind of cool to write the story from Mark Twain's eyes as a writer. I think that'd be kind of an interesting thing as a person who knew him throughout parts of his life. So, right, this huge lab. Oh, he discovers a short-term radio communication two years before Marconi does. Marconi is the inventor in the radio and most modernized, right? He creates the first modern power station in Niagara Falls, right? But in 1895, his lab burns down. All of his notes, all of his equipment, everything, gone. Yikes. And he lives his last years in a New York hotel where he... He has like a lot of mental health decline issues. He becomes obsessed with the number three and obsessive cleaning. But he was also a huge lover and caretaker of pigeons. Pigeons? Pigeons. Aww. Right? But it isn't until after he passes that we recognize a lot of his genius. Marconi's radio patents end up being dissolved because Tesla had made them years before. And like I said, the AC system that he invented... We still use worldwide to power everything. But I just think he's its such an interesting and immensely tragic figure. He's got a perfect villain, Thomas Edison, this person who, in order to prove that someone else's invention is dangerous, would electrocute people and animals publicly. Like, an immensely cruel human who stole multiple inventions, by the way, not just from Tesla. Westinghouse, this person who buoys him through part of his life and then ends up kind of reneging on their deal. And then, you know... A death alone in the midst of mental illness without any of the money and stuff that he should have had after his laboratory burns down. For a man who gave us so much of our modern technology. Sheesh. Yeah. I mean, I realize it's a sad story, but there's some beauty to it. And it's also a bit of a rewriting of American history. You know, when we're little, we all learn like, oh, Thomas Edison made the light bulb. Uh, No, he was a dick. He stole everything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. Thomas Edison is basically like another well-known modern inventor who stole Tesla's name. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is interesting. Give us your vision. For the operas itself, like I said, I imagine a ghostly figure. I'm imagining a lot of the set involving things like the, you know, visualization of Tesla coils and all of this electricity. I'm thinking like a fairly modern score. Think like a Missy Mazzoli. Oh, yes. You know, lots of electric instruments and crazy rhythms. And actually, you know what? I would like, you know, we were talking about the contrast in Hildegard von Bingen. It would be interesting to have kind of a la Hamilton. You know how when Thomas Jefferson comes into the show, he's singing music that's a couple decades back? Right. I would like the other inventors to be singing in like the style and era of like Puccini, Mozart, kind of these bigger things. And I would like Tesla to be in the modern. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be sick. Right? Because they had the showmanship, the the feeling that people get when they watch someone like Puccini or Mozart. Like, they have that overwhelming appeal because they were also salesmen in a way that Tesla was not. He was incredibly awkward, but brilliant, which I think is sometimes how modern music comes off. <laughs> so say, that I think that feels would be very a- relatable. <laughs> right? And I'm imagining a lot of, like, blue around Tesla. Like, I almost want him to be grayed out style-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I imagine him so much as his factory and everything. Anyway, so that's mine. I love Tesla as a figure. I think he's fascinating. Yeah, that's pretty spicy. So my counter is... <laughs> my counter counter is... Oh, yeah, Let's put your cards on the table. <laughs> you raise Tesla. I raise yet another scientist. I raise you Albert Einstein. Now... Oh, all right. I know what you're thinking. We already have Einstein on the beach. And I, Einstein, which, as we all know, is a very short and succinct opera about <laughs> Albert Einstein's life. Very clear and understandable. Very, yeah. I will poke fun at Einstein on the beach, but I'm not going to deny that it is an incredible work and is a very interesting look. It's a very interesting way to portray a person. What's it's- happening, like, technique-wise, compositionally, the structure. It's all worth high praise. But I would love maybe another chamber opera about Einstein that's less experimental, less cerebral, because some of that is is already so assumed with Einstein. And I would love something that's much more perhaps warm and human and for the love of God, not five hours long. <laughs> Isn't Einstein eight hours? I I think it's. I think staged productions of it are five, aren't they? Oh, no, you're right. Five hours. Yeah. And then they shortened it <laughs> yeah, to I like... love that when I look this up, it says, given the length, the audience is permitted to enter and leave as desired. To be mm-hmm. fair, you're not going to miss any plot if you do. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I think Einstein on the Beach would be best viewed if it was like an installation you could walk through, where it's mm-hmm. all happening simultaneously. Yes. And so as I was kind of thinking about this Einstein opera... I actually kind of realized that I guess my concept isn't necessarily about Einstein himself, though I think that it would be he would be the main focus. But I think it would be really interesting to have an opera that focuses on the tie between science and music, because this is just a relationship that we see, obviously, not only in Einstein, but in so many other creative people. You have Leonardo da Vinci, you have William Henschel. You know, 
who discovered Uranus and several moons, but also had an extensive catalog of symphonies, concertos, and organ works. You have yeah. Prince Igor composer Alexander Borodin, who was also a doctor. Oh, yeah. And biochemist. The early trade. Russians are like all scientists, and also some of them wrote music on the side. Like, yeah. you get, they're like all chemists. Yeah, and it's so interesting, but it's like you also see, I feel like we can all think of somebody that we went to undergrad or grad school with who's like in pre-med or is like in chem now. You know what I mean? I feel like this love <laughs> Yeah, my, my roommate for all four years who was a chemistry major, but also I don't think I'll ever play piano as well as she does. Exactly. Like, I think this like inevitable romance between science and music and the way our brain understands both is such an interesting concept and so I turn to Einstein to not only explore both of those but to kind of just like look at that relationship between science and music obviously you have one of the greatest scientists that we'll ever know and in my own selfish desire I would love like a random like scientific aria to be sung because I think that'd just be super fun. E equals MC squared being a scientific aria. Like, come on. Ooh. You're telling me that's not gonna be like a bomb ass like coloratoria aria? I think I think but so. You, you've got like that. You've also got interesting figures in his life, obviously, that he interacts with, as well as his wife. Mm -hmm. He plays violin. So if mm -hmm. you have a player who can play on stage, if you have a singer who can actually play violin, that's a sick you know thing because he he was a violinist um mm -hmm. but not to mention you've got some fairly major things you know einstein is a pacifist but his work ends up contributing to the manhattan project which leads mm -hmm. to nuclear warfare which is like an intense you know that's an immensely difficult thing i think to come to terms with is that you contributed to something that caused so much destruction he's also jewish and he ends up leading germany because mm -hmm. of this. so you've also got klezmer music which can come into play yeah, I think that there's just so much that you can play with. I think I love his second wife, Elsa, talks about how something that she would observe in Albert is that he would be sitting at the piano because he also played piano and he would just be playing his two favorite composers were Mozart and Bach, which feel very Bach, especially feeling incredibly fitting. But he would just sit at the yeah. piano playing, doodling, doing whatever, and then would like keep a journal on the side of the piano that he would just like pause and then go back to writing notes. And he would use this like music making, whether he was playing the violin or playing the piano as kind of just like a meditative. I, yeah. I think the way that when people talk on the phone, you walk around in a very similar kind of like passive way, which is just so interesting. And something that I didn't know that I like was that I learned when I was looking him up is I had no idea that he was friends and like i i don't know why i don't put them in the same timeline but he was friends with marian anderson oh did you know that yeah that's what that's one of those things where somebody tells you and you're like you know what that makes sense yeah the timeline totally makes sense but like for whatever reason i do not place them together and i just find that so curious like i would love for her to be somewhere in this opera as well and all the other interesting figures that he met as well just being like you know short kind of like cameo roles for other singers but it's just so interesting because you know in 1937 Marian Anderson is like a huge name and is very much making a career for herself against all odds as she gives a concert at the McCarter Theater 
and in New Jersey, and who's in the audience but Albert Einstein. And so they meet. I love friendships like that. Right? That's so... Like, imagine you're giving a concert and literally Einstein's in the audience. I honestly can't fathom that. <laughs> but they meet backstage after the concert, and Einstein offered to escort her to the inn that she was staying at. Unfortunately, once he does escort her, she's not allowed to actually stay at the inn because of the whites-only policy, and Einstein actually invites her to stay in his home with his daughter. Which oh. I like, and they like. She ends up being like one of his closest friends when he ends up dying, and it's just it's wild. What a solid contralto role, right? I know. I'm imagining lots of really. Now that you've brought up Bach, I'm imagining lots of really intricate counterpoint involved in like the math solving stuff where stuff overlaps and it's kind of almost hard to tell what everyone is saying. Hmm. Yeah. But also totally. the great thing about him is that he's also kind of a whimsical human for how scientific and everything is he's a bit goofy which is why we always see that picture of him with his tongue sticking out but if you read stories about his parties and stuff he's a pretty fun guy as far as scientists go which yeah is kind of, he uh, what a fun character to get to to bring yeah he spoke in a very like high-pitched voice like maybe he's a countertenor I don't know I just feel like there's so much fun that you could have with him I would want it to be kind of the opposite of Einstein on the beach where it's just superhuman I feel like we really dig deep into who he is as a person and kind of leave some of the scienciness behind and I mean I still want an E equals MC squared aria because I just feel like that would be so freaking fun but looking at him as a person and kind of like all these different quirks and his relationship with music as much as he has a relationship with science, I think would just be really interesting. So that's my pitch. I, <laughs> I didn't say this, but I do think Tesla should be a pants roll. Ooh. I just think it's so fitting. And when I think of it, I really do think of people who have been in like Rose and Cavalier and who have been in. There's something about Tesla to me that just feels like a pants roll would be the best way to play it. Mm-hmm. I like anyway. that. But I love I love Einstein. And hilariously, I don't think I have it with me. Otherwise, I would post it with this episode. But I have, from when I went to the Smithsonian in the eighth grade, I have a glow-in-the-dark Einstein shirt that I love. Oh, I it's love like that. It's like his face, his face made out of like a galaxy. Mm-hmm. Because in the eighth grade, I wrote a report on him. And I remember my favorite fact from that report was that when he was younger and he was mad, he, like, chucked a a bowling ball at his sister. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, Einstein was just, like, a wild guy. And that's the part that I, like, want to know. That's the part that I would love to get across to people in, like, either a chamber, probably a chamber opera, I think would be just really fun. And I think you just have so much. I don't know. I feel like you could do a full opera for Einstein. I don't think you, you probably have to make could, a yeah. chamber. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Before I get before I lay my last card on the table to demolish you. <laughs> I have I have a couple honorable mention ones that I didn't end up writing like a full thing on because for various reasons, I'll explain. So first one was Steed Bonnet. If you don't know who that is, that is the gentleman pirate. He was a like nobleman who gave up his life in aristocracy to become a pirate and ends up being very bad at it. And Blackbeard ends up taking over his ships. And I say this not because I really love Steed Bonnet, but because I have absolute gay pirate brain rot from watching Our Flag Means Death. So when I say <laughs> Steed Bonnet, I really mean I just want the show Our Flag Means Death to be brought 
to the stage as an opera because I think it's real cute and I like it. <laughs> and I think it would kind of work. What's very funny is someone described that show to me as like a character full of like a show full of Muppets and one real human who's actually trying to be a pirate. And that's a very accurate description. So I'm also super down for it to be the first puppet opera. Oh, my God. Like Jim Henson company and all. Yikes. Little sesame I love it. Other ones that I didn't go for, I have George Takai on here, who is, if you don't know, he is a, a gay Asian American actor who is also old enough to have lived through Japanese internment. He also was one of the few Asian American actors on Star Trek, and it was a huge breakthrough for actors in the community. Anyway, he's a really cool figure. I just couldn't build a full storyline around it. And also, I find it really difficult to like try and make a story about someone who's still alive. There's mm-hmm. something very awkward about it. But he's a really cool actor and activist, so look him up if you don't know him. And my final one that I didn't end up writing the full story on, and uh, hold on, I've got to pull up the name so I don't butcher it, Lilio Kalani, who was the last queen of Hawaii, who was on the throne when it was illegally annexed. Hmm. So she's a really interesting figure because she did a lot in order to try and protect her people, and she put her people over her, her regency. She, mm-hmm. she didn't care about staying in charge. She wanted to decrease as much bloodshed as possible. And she did everything she could to try and get America to understand that their annexation was completely illegal. And it was. Like, America, decades later, recognizes and apologizes for their illegal annexation, almost like 100 years after the fact. And she's a fascinating figure of that time. And the fact that she is this just incredibly brave person doing everything she can for her people is amazing. The reason I didn't write it out fully was I was researching to see how many Hawaiian opera singers and representatives there are. And there just aren't enough to cast this properly. Because the reality is, is like the people who were playing these roles would need to be native Hawaiians. I think there would be no greater disrespect than to write about the, the last queen of Hawaii and not have Hawaiians in the role. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly partially because... You know, we we work in a very expensive art form that requires you to live and be in certain places, but also because obviously Hawaiians have their own dance and music language that they use to storytell. So you possibly could do it if you didn't necessarily make it operatically voiced and you kept it within that style. But like I said, I, I didn't want to be rude or misrepresentative. I mean, you probably could cast it with native Hawaiian singers, but it would have to be one of those things where you got enough grant funding to make sure that you had enough people so it was properly cast but yeah i like that that would be really cool it would be and i think that's a story worth telling i just don't know that (laughs) that i could do it justice on this podcast trying to trying to write it out sure yeah which going back i i have one person that i would like to raise as a, a small candidate which is actually somebody that Preston wrote about in the blog article. He talks about how Vincent van Gogh should have his own opera. And it's so funny. I was thinking, like, yes, absolutely. I love him. I love learning about him. Loving Vincent is a fantastic film, if you haven't seen it. I love Ben Moore's song cycle, Dear Theo. There are some art songs in that collection that literally bring me to tears that's so beautiful and I honestly I want Ben Moore to write the opera but I was looking into it and I don't think he's ever written an opera I think he has like a children's opera under his belt but I'm sorry guys that doesn't really count (laughs) but but like a fully painted like 
scenery yes. like in the style but i also just feel like dear theo is so perfect in the way that he wrote it that i feel like i don't know who i'm envisioning besides ben moore like i just i want a full opera of that song cycle yeah so no it's a gorgeous song cycle oh need it need it gotta have it all right hit us with the final blow i was thinking about this and i hilariously will have to tell you where i got the idea in a second but i think i think my number one for this is actually judas like the biblical judas i mean you really can't (laughs) there really is no stronger like just uno reverse than that right (laughs) there's no counter greater (laughs) than freaking judas i have flipped the table (laughs) the thing about judas is like judas to me is the ultimate tragic figure like from the moment he exists he is destined to betray the savior like that is that's that's as tragic as it gets because everyone knows from like from the minute that jesus meets judas he knows who's going to betray him and in that in its own right, is almost a removal of the ability to choose. You know, he was always destined to do it because he had to, because that's how the story goes. It is almost a mythological, like, placement. You know, it's Sisyphus pushing on on the boulder. Yeah. And so I think that's just such an interesting perspective to take it and to tell that story through Judas. Mm -hmm. Now, if you... For those of you who are not Christian and don't really know who Judas is, or maybe you you basically know who he is, Judas is one of the 12 disciples, and he is ultimately the one who basically sells out Jesus to the Pharisees. Yep. He takes silver for it. He kisses Jesus on the cheek to, to show who he is, and then he later hangs himself. Yep. But, you know, Jesus makes multiple references to the fact that, like, one of you will betray me. Hilariously, I got this idea because I was sitting in my car... And I was listening to Genghis Khan, which is a German disco band. (laughs) I was listening to a German disco band, and they have a song about Judas. Oh, really? Called Judas Iscariot. And it slaps for no reason. Oh, I love that. It's so good for nothing. (laughs) And I was listening to it, and I was like, you know what? Judas really deserves his own opera. Because, like I said, a lot of opera is built around tragic figures that we know that ultimately everything is going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. And there's no greater version of that to me than Judas. Yeah. Legitimately, like, in his world, he betrays God. Yeah. Literally the ultimate betrayal of all time. You know, it's like the ring cycle, basically. Yeah. Uh, And I, I think it's an interesting one, too, because... You save yourself a lot of trouble by using a story that many, many people are obviously familiar with, but telling it from a unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't think too much about it. What do you think? What do you think music-wise it would sound like? Oh, I need a freaking Wagnerian verity size orchestra. Oh, hell I yeah. need like 120 plus freaking people in the pit. And it needs like a huge chorus for no reason. <laughs> I feel like if you're, I'm, I honestly like we just need to resurrect Verdi to write this. Like that's what I'm envisioning, honestly. Just something hmm. of like, it, it's just gotta. I feel like for the story, it is. It has to just be hefty in sound and power. You know what I yeah. mean? 
like at the betrayal, there has to be some like crazy, almost like madness Arya type thing before he like sells out Judas or before he sells out Jesus and bef- like going into the, the Last Supper. I need some like crazy Arya. You know what I'm saying? And I almost, I want there to be a lot of moments between Jesus and Judas that are almost like an understanding of we are in our roles and we must play them till the end. Mm-hmm. As much as we wish we could walk away. Because, like, one of the most compelling things in the Bible to me is Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, what a wild line from someone who always knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in that same vein, like, the fact that you are born to betray someone, right? It, it is, to me, in the similar vein, you know, God and the devil, there is Jesus and Judas, and they are both born into roles that are immensely painful. And in that right, they are, they understand each other. And so I, <laughs> the more I describe it, the more I'm making this a little erotic, but I, <laughs> but they are, they are two sides of the same coin to me. Yeah, no, very, very intertwined, very two faded destinies and ways that they interact. I think it would be really interesting to kind of have to watch the introspection of Judas. I'm sure, obviously, like, despite knowing all along that Judas will betray him, like, Jesus always shows him love and acceptance and guidance. So I feel like that would be such immense guilt for Judas and like watching him struggle with that, watching him have good days where he probably does very well believe that he's fully into it and his discipleship. And then also having all these doubts would just be such an interesting thing to look at. Yeah. And, and knowing realistically, it could have been any of them. Mm hmm. Any, any one of the disciples could have been chosen. Yeah. Mm. No. It's yeah, so interesting. But like, I the, like the world's most tragic figure cursed to, to betray God. Like, what a cool thing to, like, work into. And you're right. It has to be huge and grand and, and to some degree empathetic and heartbreaking. And that's why I love this idea of having Judas and Jesus as these parallels. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was just thinking, and maybe you'll know of an opera that I'm just not aware of, but I was thinking to myself, obviously, like, Whenever you have Jesus portrayed in music, most of the time it's like, you know, oratorio or, you know, something like that. Our masses are St. John Passions, right? Where we actually have somebody singing the role of Jesus. But I was thinking, I was like, I can't think of any like big operas where Jesus is actually like really a character. And so honestly, I actually almost picked Jesus as one of my people as one of my counters. So honestly, that would have been really funny. (laughs) But I do like this idea of Judas and Jesus because that would just be so interesting to 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 imagine. There's I I just googled Jesus opera, but I only found one really. What is it? Or by Christus? who? Uh, no. Ba, ba, ba. Anton Rubinstein. Yeah, it doesn't count. <laughs> None of us have ever heard of it, so we're not counting it. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not looking to truly make a sacred opera because I am obviously taking some liberties here with how I'm describing things that are not necessarily biblical. But what I want is for people to understand that it could have been them. That, like, ultimately, because of the way the story of Jesus had to go, Judas was always going to betray him. 
He doesn't really mm-hmm. get a choice. Yeah, totally. And I feel, you know, from like a Christian perspective, it's like, oh, Judas is the worst. Like, what a bad guy. How could you like experience all this love of God and be a follower and, you know, be literally be a disciple, yeah. right? And then go ahead and do that. Right. But it's also Peter's like kind of a dick, but he's also like the like the patron saint of the entire Catholic Church. Yeah. But it's also if you think about Judas being a real person, like he would have had his good days. He would have had his bad days. And there would have been a lot of emotional and like inner turmoil to go to have behind the scenes before the ultimate action. You know what I mean? And then the after the fact. Well, it's almost, you know, in in Exodus. I love it. In Exodus, you know, there's a line that's like, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I, I kind of imagine that line showing up in the show and being like, and God hardened Judas' heart as he did Pharaoh's. Like I said, he is, he has to play his role. He has to follow this path. Because otherwise the story doesn't happen. Yeah, what do you what do you do if your destiny sucks? <laughs> and that's that that to me is, you know, while he's killing himself, that is the aria is like where is the redemption for those of us who fulfilled our role? Where is the redemption for those of us who are a part of this story? Ooh, it just would be cool, okay? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. This was a really fun episode to make. And I got to be honest, we'll probably do this again because it's it's a fun time to go through these stories and think about, like, how would this dynamic work over the course of a tale? And my real issue with so many operas is that they don't have good character arcs. They don't have good dramaturgy. They have great music, but no story. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so fun to imagine them. But if you have any suggestions or like stories that you think would work really well on the stage, go ahead and put them in the comments on our Instagram post or come into our Discord and we'll talk about them. But I'm always curious as to what people see in their This could be an opera. Yeah, I just, I feel like we're at a really, really exciting time in opera where People are choosing really interesting stories and just like all different types of stories that focus on all different types of matters and people and like times in history that any of these ideas that we propose today or any idea that you have of your own, like we're closer now to actually having something written than we ever have been. And so it's just it's really fun to just think up new ideas like what new stories do we want to tell yeah i mean the great thing about choosing historical figures and everything is that the stories are all kind of written <laughs> mm-hmm. anyway so go on our instagram which is at opera offstage and share your ideas or like i said if you want to hop in our discord that link is in the bio of our instagram and we're always happy to chat on there or you can of course get in contact with us through our website which is opera-offstage.com and we will see you guys next week bye bye